Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mullinger Meets Canadians is brought to you by the Halifax Partnership. Hello, I'm stand-up comedian James Mullinger and the co-founder of Edits Magazine. This is Mullinger Meets Canadians, the podcast where we meet Canadians who are making waves on the world stage. In this episode, I'm meeting the mayor of the city that only last week was declared the best place to live in all of Canada. Mike Savage was first elected mayor of Halifax on October the 20th, 2012 with a mandate to make Halifax the most livable, entrepreneurial and inclusive city in Canada. Well, job done it appears. Despite obvious challenges in the past 14 months, the city is booming. And last year on October 17th, 2020, he was elected for an impressive third term with a landslide victory. Mayor Savage and his wife Darlene have two adult children and live in Dartmouth where Mike grew up and attended school before graduating from Dalhousie University. The last time we spoke was two years ago when I was working on a feature for Edit Magazine proclaiming Halifax to be the next great Canadian city. Now that this recognition has arrived and people are flocking there from around the world, I wonder, how does Halifax embrace this incredible growth while also maintaining its charm? I'm here with Mike now to find out. Mayor Mike Savage, how are you, my friend? I'm good. It's uh, nice to talk to you again. Likewise, likewise. The last time we spoke was just over two years ago, and I was working on a on a magazine feature about Halifax, in which the, the cover line was, Here Comes Halifax. And we talked about the fact that we believed that very soon it would be recognised as the next great Canadian city. And this has happened. Uh, what do you put that down to? Well, you know, you're talking to the mayor, so the mayor will always tell you about 60% of the truth and exaggerate the rest. So for me, it's not a surprise. Look, I think our city's done well for the last number of years. We're a mid-sized city. I think there's a movement to mid-sized cities around the world. We've become a bit of a tech hub here and uh, well, quite a bit of a tech hub here in Halifax. We've always had a pretty good quality of life and people recognize that, but... As I tell people, you know, good quality of life without a job doesn't amount to very much. And now we have people, uh, young people coming out of our schools. They're being employed. They're making a difference. They're enjoying the vibe in the city. And the city's done well. And, of course, we've we've managed uh, the whole COVID situation here in Nova Scotia and Atlantic Canada pretty well. Very true. And I think one of the things that you've touched upon there that really is potentially the key to this is young people travel all over the world to study. But Halifax is one of the very few places, I think, where people go to study and then, with no intention of doing so, end up staying. What do you think it is that attracts the city to young people so much? I think we have um, a nice combination of features for younger people. We have a a very vibrant downtown, and we've obviously lost some of that during COVID, but in the short to midterm, that's going to come back. And, you know, people like to, you know, there's a lot of culture here. There's uh, music and dance and art. Uh, there's a, a lot of businesses done uh, over a pint at a, at a local uh, pub. We've got the, the local coffee shops. But we also have access to things that a lot of young people like, uh, recreation opportunities. You can be on a, 
paddling in a boat in you know 20 minutes you can be in a some of the most beautiful natural wilderness anywhere um, very quickly so I think those combination of features make us an attractive city for a lot of people but particularly for young people who are more mobile and have more options than they've had before very true because I think one of the things that this generation has kind of taught us is that whereas our generation maybe were more caught up in possessing things it feels like this generation are all about experiences and really and and more to the point kind of the breadth of experiences so not just being able to experience the wonderful things that city life like a big city like London or Toronto can offer but all experiences so as you point out you know being able to kind of you know go and kayak on a river um, on the same day as checking out a, a theatrical production like do you think that's part of the key that this generation really wants to have experiences that cover all bases mm-hmm you know, when I came out of university and started to you know, look for jobs, I looked at salary and, uh, and to some extent at the company and what the opportunities might be. But I would never have thought to ask off a potential employer, you know, what are your benefits plans? What opportunities do I have to give back to the community? What are your values as a, as a company? What makes you tick? And why would I want to come, you know, to work with you? These are all things that matter now. And... Um, you know, I talked to lots of employers. You know, during the, during COVID, when the world seemed to be sort of in a flash-frozen state, we had 17 new companies come to Halifax to set up for the first time. And I've had a chance to talk to a number of them. And they talk about the values of the company. It lines up with Halifax, with Nova Scotia. And, and so the values of companies matter. And employees, potential employees, young people coming out, it's their market. And uh, they know that the currency is talent and that they have choices and they want to go for companies and they want to live in a city that, uh, you know, in, in a general way shares their values. I think, you know, being international, diversity and inclusion, recognition of the uh, climate crisis and all these sorts of things are, are important to young people. I think they want to see it in the companies they work for and in the cities and communities in which they live. Yeah. No, it's so true. And I mean, it definitely feels like this is this region's moment. It feels like, you know, Atlantic Canada is finally kind of getting the, the recognition that it deserves. And of course, Halifax is a huge part of that as the, as the biggest city in the region. How much is COVID to thank for this? Because uh, often we are forced to kind of dwell on all of the negative things that COVID has done. But and of course, I mean, there's no getting around, you know, a global pandemic being obviously a, an awful thing. But should we also be acknowledging the positive that have come out of it. So I think that there will be some structural changes and you know across the planet probably as a result of COVID. I do think that in the um, even in the short term, certainly in the midterm, that there is an advantage for those communities that managed COVID well. If you're setting up a company or expanding a company or thinking about maybe one of your kids is going to go to school internationally, you know, one of the things I hear from parents is they want their kids to go to a place that's safe. That means that they're not going to be you know, victim of violence, but it also means that uh, health-wise that their safety will be uh, protected. And I think that the way that this city and this region have managed COVID overall, arguably better than anybody else, you know, possibly along with New Zealand and others and Taiwan, we've done well by that. And it's probably a bit of a case of short-term pain for long-term gain. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we have, as a city, I mean, it's crazy to think, but during COVID, our workforce grew by 4,600 people, the most in absolute terms in Canada. You know, the Canadian workforce went down by 850,000. We went up by 4,600, which is great. The problem, of course, is that the jobs we did lose in hospitality and um, 
you know, culture and things like that hurt. They, they, it hurts that our restaurants aren't full and that our hotels are at 15, 20% capacity, that our air, airport has suffered. But overall, we have seen that, uh, you know, we're going to come out of COVID actually on a bit of a roll overall. We need to make sure we protect those industries that were hurt. Yeah, so true. And, and as you rightly say, I mean, th- those little benefits that will continue forever. And there's, then there's global benefits. I mean, for me personally, the simple fact of seeing everyone wash their hands when they leave the washroom now is a, is a positive. Mm. You know, uh, I mean, as men, we know, we, yeah, we can be honest that before this, a third of the men we would see walk out of the washroom were not washing their hands. And suddenly now they are. I mean, that has got to be a good thing for the world. Well, I, th- I don't know if I... Follow men coming out of the washroom as closely as you do, James. But I, 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 in general, I think that that's uh, you know that that's true. I also think, frankly, that we're in a part of the world that doesn't have as much of an innate distrust of government and government advice as some places uh, do, and we've been well led here in the province by the provincial government, by Dr. Strang, and I think in the other provinces here as well. We've we haven't really disputed the science of COVID. We haven't had to have that fight very much. And I think that's been helpful. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, ultimately, like last week when uh, the McLean's list came out and Halifax was number one, officially number one top community to live and work in 2021. What was the atmosphere like in your office? Were there high fives all around? Like, what was the general feeling? Well, you know, it was uh, I was I was in a meeting actually with uh, Wendy Luther of the Halifax uh, Partnership, and we they have what they call these CEO councils. We were talking about transportation and logistics, and this news came out that that had just happened. And Wendy said the mayor is going to love that because he wants to be number one at everything. I don't like it when people say we're eighth out of one hundred and ten or we're sixteenth <laughs> out of ninety. I mean, I don't. That's great, but I don't use that. So being number yeah. one is good. But look. Those are transitory things, you know, we're number one this year, we could be number 30 next year, who knows? I think the overall trend, though, is indisputable that people have been moving here, that our GDP has been going up, that we're attracting people internationally, becoming a much more international city. I believe that our sites are set higher than they ever have been. And, um, you know, we got, as we talked about, young people, including my own kids, who really were not planning on spending their life in Halifax when they were in high school, uh, both of whom now really enjoy Halifax and want to make their career here. So, you know, there's those sort of actual, factual, statistical things. And then there's the stuff that makes you feel, yeah, those are right. We're doing okay. Amazing. How old are your children now? 24 and 21. So I have a daughter who's working at IBC here in Halifax, uh, graduated from St. of X, and my son is at Memorial in his fourth year of a five-year program, business, marketing, and finance, and he's coming back here to do a work term the day that the bubble is reconstituted, April the 19th. Amazing. And what do they tell you about this time? Because, I mean, we know for our generation, there was a lot of talk about how we've coped with it. But for younger people, for whom this is the time of their lives that they're supposed Mm. to be out doing things, how have they coped with the last year? And and what have they kind of told you about how their friends are kind of dealing with everything? Right. That's a good question. You know, I've become a bit of a a podcast fan because of guys like Reese here in in, uh, Halifax. I was never much on them. I started doing a a few during my campaign for mayor last year. And the first one I did was with my kids. I really enjoyed it. And uh, actually to sit down and talk to them. And, and I asked them those questions. Why do you like Halifax? They like the vibe. You know, they're, they're young. They want to go out. They want to have a drink on a Friday night, you know, usually starting about four hours after I've gone to bed. Uh, <laughs> but they like that. But they also like the fact that there's opportunities in Halifax for themselves and for their friends. And the exciting thing is that the people who, as you've mentioned, uh, 
came here to go to school and all of a sudden discovered that they like it, which is a great thing, that they're having an opportunity here. And if there's one thing that, there's a number of things that make me smile, but one is walking down the street and hearing a language that I've never heard before. And that to me is a sign that people are coming here, they're happy here, and uh, I really believe that, that that's the future of cities. Absolutely. Um, how do you think that other towns and cities can learn from what Halifax has done over the past few years? And of course, it's always been a leader in many ways in the region, but how that it's kind of grown into this place that is a global destination. And again, I mean, bringing people like Reese, who made the decision to, to move to Halifax simply based on doing research on where would be the best place to bring up a family, start a business. And of course, the success of, of Podstarter is, is testament to that. Mm. Um, what can other cities and places and, and towns do to kind of replicate that success, if you will. So I always thought that Reese came here from Wales because he finally wanted to see some decent rugby uh, at the Wanderers' <laughs> grounds uh, here. Um, look, That's a fair uh, point. Uh, first of all, there's you know we're not uh, the only poster child for success in Atlantic Canada. I think of cities like uh, you know Moncton and uh, Fredericton, St. John, with the challenges that they have. Uh, uh, Charlottetown is a, is an amazing city. St. John's, Newfoundland, are great. But so are some of the smaller communities. Bridgewater is doing some really cool things in Nova Scotia environmentally and, and other ways. And even a city like the Cape Breton Regional Municipality is having growth and, uh, and showing that they can be a part of this new economy as well, bringing in students, uh, more and more international students to CBU. So I don't think we have a magic formula. I do think we were right-sized as a mid-sized city, and I always felt if we could just raise our game a little bit, partly by raising our expectations and looking at the natural advantages we have, like a beautiful harbor, well-located time zone-wise, so a company like Admiral Insurance can be here selling insurance in the UK uh, and also doing business on the west coast of Canada. Um, we, we Those are sort of natural advantages, and then the earned advantages we have of having a very strong university and college uh, set up here. I always thought, you know, we started going out in the road with the partnership, myself and, and the Halifax Partnership, uh, selling our proposition. It's, it's when you actually start to look at some of the things that we have to offer, that you realize we have really the, the, uh, a lot of the parts, and we just needed to make the sum of the parts uh, greater, uh, uh, you know, a greater overall story. And I think that the growth of tech here, which has really been largely in the last five to eight years, has shown that um, we have a bit of a formula, the blue economy, the ocean economy, taking advantage of those things that we have and, and selling them. Very true. And it's interesting because, I mean, for a long time, lots of people within the region weren't even aware of the exciting things that were happening. I mean, you mentioned tech, like, you know, a kind of global company like Ubisoft having big offices in Halifax. That's something which whenever I tell people that in the Maritimes, they don't don't seem to realise. But certainly in terms of, I mean, all of the cities that you mentioned there that have, uh, have had success and are having success. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think um, embracing diversity is something which has definitely been a key to the success, but also I think the embracing of the arts. And I know you are someone who has, has embraced all arts and culture. And to my mind, the number one thing that people say to me when they're going to move to one of the, a, a small town or city within the Maritimes or, or indeed anywhere in Canada from another country, they want to know what there is culturally to go to. And I feel like for a long time, some places would ignore that. They would ignore the importance of culture because it is the number one thing that people want to know. You know, it's like the opportunity might be there, the job might be there, the affordable housing might be there and the beautiful view 
reviews might be there, but what about shows? Mm-hmm. And that seems to be something which you've been very successful at. Can you tell me a bit about that and the way that you've worked with the kind of arts? So I think that our approach with the arts community is similar to the approach overall with the city. It's not a battle, but I think that there are sort of a couple of different points of view. One is, this goes back to when I ran for mayor the first time, there was a strong feeling, look, we're doing okay, we're a comfortable city, we're doing fine, we have a lot of the amenities that we need, you know, we don't need to do much better than that. And then there was the other pro-growth faction, which I would consider myself a part of, saying, look, we can do more with all of these things. In terms of the arts and culture, you know, we have great theatre, we have Neptune Theatre, but we have tons of local theatre groups, we have a, a world-class uh, symphony, but we just have so many talented people in the cultural industries that that are here and have been here. And so the question is, do we just kind of accept what we have or do we push it? And I think when you look at the talent that exists here, we have the opportunity to really take advantage of that. It, it's become very much a selling feature when we go on the road to talk about Halifax. People expect you to show the beauty shots of downtown and the fact that we were the fastest growing city here and the second fastest here. But, you know, I always will sell the arts and culture, the talent that exists here, which is part of of who we are as a people. Um, and the other thing that we sell a lot is the natural surroundings, our respect for the environment, the fact that we're buying green space, we're buying it. We're not just saying we own this, we're going to keep it, but we're buying land so that we can protect it in perpetuity. That then works very well with the densification of a city and growth opportunities, so... People are looking for more than just a job. They're looking for more than, you know, just a decent place to live. Uh, I think they're looking for a place that hits them in both their head and their heart. I think that we're in that sweet spot. This show is brought to you by the Halifax Partnership. Halifax is very much open for business and offers key advantages for business growth and success. Visit HalifaxPartnership.com for further information on how you can improve your life and business by moving to Halifax, Nova Scotia. Very true. And I think also people respect the fact that that there's not many mayors that not only will uh, support and embrace the arts and promote it in that way, but also also actually take part in it. You famously did uh, stand up um, um, frustratingly (laughs) successfully at the uh, Halifax Comedy Festival in 2017. I think for anyone like myself who spent kind of five to ten years to get anywhere near getting a laugh, it, it was quite frustrating to see someone do so well so quickly. Can you tell me a bit about that, how that came about and how you felt Obviously, you're used to public speaking, but but di- how different it felt doing actual stand-up. Well, thank you for overselling that dramatically because uh, <laughs> it really wasn't any... Look, I was asked by the Halifax Comedy Fair... Look, as mayor, the first thing I'll say is this. Municipal politics, without the burden of partisan uh, politics, without having to be a liberal, as I always have been, or a Tory, New Democrat, Green, you know, you it, it's liberating. And so I found in the first year that I was mayor, I was doing a video pretending to be Brad Pitt. I was singing country music, which I can't sing. You know, I danced at Neptune Theater. I can't dance. The one thing I felt, you know what I could kind of do, if anybody ever asked me, was, you know, I like comedy. But I got to tell you, you know, they asked me to do a bit, and I thought it was be like at a gala, you come out. But no, no, this was actually at the Halifax Comedy Festival, introduced by Mark Critch in front of a whole audience. And I'm going to tell you, I shit my pants. It was hard. It was one of the hardest things I ever did. I, when I agreed to it, I said, that's no problem. And then all of a sudden, a few days beforehand, I was thinking, I got nothing to say. I, how am I going to be? It's one thing to be funny when people aren't expecting it. 
It's a whole yeah. other thing when people put the camera on you and say you got to be funny, and then it's like, oh my God, I'm not that funny. So um, <laughs> anyway, so when I got there, Mark Critch, I said to him, look, how long am I going to go? He said, you got five minutes. I said, um, if I'm really doing bad, come out and save me, would you? And uh, <laughs> I did seven minutes, and he eventually had to come and say, you know, you, you I think that's enough, uh, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> and by the way, you're the only guy that dropped the F-bomb the whole night, and we were there with 10 other uh, professional comedians who were very good. I enjoyed it. Look, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So, I love that. So basically, so not only did you drop the F-bomb, you've also committed the other cardinal uh, sin of stand-up. Is, uh, you overran as well. You got, you got yeah. hooked. You enjoyed the, the I Look, experience. I got in there, and I was talking about compost, and I was talking about Justin Trudeau and I was talking about my experience and it's actually you do realize that you kind of go to your experience and you know I talked about my colonoscopy yes I saw you know? that. so brilliant. you know you, you go to experiences and after the fact your wife says something to you like you know you talked about a colonoscopy and I said yeah I shouldn't have done that <laughs> anyway but yeah it's true it's it's the it, I guess it's one of the things with with stand up and politics have in common where it's where people say you know speak from the heart and 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 be true to yourself and if you do both those things you can be successful in those two fields. I think you probably uh, can. I don't think anything really embodies uh, politics as much as a colonoscopy. <laughs> there's, there's, there's definitely a hundred metaphors in there we can work with. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, uh, last October, you were elected to a third term, which, um, you know, was not only an incredible thing anyway, but it was interesting to see kind of the positivity of newspaper headlines. I saw in the Chronicle Held the headline was Savage Roars to Another Mayoral Victory in HRM. Like, it's not often that politicians get that kind of support or indeed positivity. I found it interesting in a CBC interview a few years ago where someone described you as one of the least controversial political leaders in Canada, which I thought was a very Atlantic Canadian way of not wanting to use the word popular because least controversial just says to me popular but they didn't want to say that they just wanted to say least controversial how did you interpret that comment I don't I don't recall uh, that oh. I would personally be insulted I would actually seriously be insulted by that because I don't consider a mark of success longevity I don't consider longevity a mark of success in politics I consider what do you do with the power you've been given as the mark of success. There's a lot of politicians who've been in power for decades and haven't done squat all. So, and, and so I hope I did not just, um, uh, I'm sure that that's a, a valid criticism. I, I hope that uh, people will look at my time in mayor and, and see significant things, not just popular things, because we've done some things in the city with taking down a, a, a statue uh, of Edward Cornwallis. We've taken on some diversity issues. We're you know, we've done some some things in the city that certainly feel to me like uh, we're pissing off a lot of people. And if you look at the mail, we we get it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's interesting. You know, I think every politician yeah. wants to be popular, but you got to understand. I my father was the premier of Nova Scotia, and he probably wasn't super popular at the end of it. And I think he was the best premier the province uh, ever had. I think that politics is about making a difference. It's, I don't want to just get in for a number of years and win elections. I don't think winning elections is as important as what you do with the power that the people give you when you do win an election. Absolutely. And to be honest, I think the comment was meant as a compliment, but I completely understand and agree mm. with what you're saying because, uh, you know, as you say, uh, controversy is, is often a good thing because it means that you're, you know, pissing a couple of people off and Absolutely. when you're doing good things, you are going to piss people Absolutely. off. Absolutely. Right? And I tell some of our new councillors, we have a really cool new council, I tell them, look, you know, being popular... 
you know, is, is okay, but you got to be popular for the right reasons. And if you're not pissing off um, somebody, then then you're really not doing enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, last year, obviously, you know, was a challenging year for so many reasons. Mm. And COVID in some ways is possibly one of the things which, of course, is always going to be remembered. But but I think last year is going to be remembered more importantly for the Black Lives Matter movement. Can you tell me a bit about how you felt kind of locally with people obviously having important things to, to ask and wanting to know how things were going to change and indeed how you went about doing so? I do believe we've been living in a time of crises, the health crisis of COVID, which led to an economic crisis, the environment crisis, the the climate change crisis, which is ongoing and is often described, I think, correctly as existential. But there's also then this social justice crisis, and it was embodied by the killing of uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis. The sad thing is that wasn't the first time that we've had these deaths of African-Americans and uh, but it kind of crystallized it, right? So, and I remember the big demonstration in Halifax and kneeling on the streets of Spring Garden Road and the feeling there that was real. And you, you know, you you simply can't look at something like that that happened in Minneapolis or what happened in, you know, Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin, or in Ferguson or anywhere. You can't look at those things and say that's them and not us because you couldn't live here in our community of Halifax, particularly as a young black man, you couldn't look at those things and say that could never happen here because we have a history of systemic racism in this community. It's, you know, your race has had a big impact on where you live, the schools you would go to, the opportunities you have, what services are available to you, and what opportunities do you have to take advantage of your abilities. Those have all been influenced uh, by race And not just anecdotally, but the courts have determined in the Kirk Johnson case, which was a driving while black case, the Scott Wortley report on street checks, that we have issues here. Now, so it has to be dealt with in a serious way. We also have to recognize um, just how important good police officers are to maintaining strong communities. So, you know, I don't, there's a somewhat of a balance here, but you simply have to acknowledge that we have to do uh, better. And, you know, the the chief of police, who was very new at the time, apologized for the street checks, the the report that Scott Wortley did. I think it was the correct thing to do. And, uh, you know, we've taken on a number of things. In the city, in the last number of years, we've set up a department of diversity and inclusion that's doing some amazing work. Um, But you have to listen to community and you have to understand that when people say defund police, you know, what does it mean? So we have two studies now underway, one through our police commission, one through council to try to figure out what that means. And you have to recognize how difficult it would be to be a police officer in this day and age for a whole bunch of reasons, but also understand that there's a reason that people are uh, looking for change and we have to react to that. Absolutely. And as you say, I mean, we're blessed to live in a, in a place, in a region, in a country even where acknowledgement 
of those problems is the key. And again, I mean, looking at, you know, again, I have not ever looked back to England in the seven years since I've been gone. And of course, I've seen numerous disastrous things occur through Brexit, through the awful, catastrophic handling of the COVID crisis. And then more recently, the uh, British government invested all this money into an investigation to see if there was any systemic racism uh, in British politics. And it came back that, no, there's none, we move on. So to live in a country where we actually acknowledge that there are problems and try and fix them is a blessing for me as a newcomer and an immigrant here. Well, acknowledgement is very important, but it, but it's the base from which you go forward that uh, that, that matters even more. Absolutely. And one of the other hugely kind of successful things that has occurred, I mean, certainly in Halifax and across Nova Scotia, but was the response to the Syrian refugee crisis. And I know in 2015, uh, you co-chaired the response task force and drawing the cities together to kind of, you know, come up with the best practices to, to support people. Now, having seen kind of, you know, five, six years later, how well so many students have, have integrated into our communities, become business leaders. Can you tell me a bit about that? And when you were asked to co-chair that task force did you have any idea quite how successful uh, it would be throughout the region look the, I, I was a liberal member of parliament i know justin trudeau uh, i like him I, I certainly see his flaws but one of the highlights uh, for me as a canadian was to see him going out on the tarmac to greet syrian refugees as they came off a plane well now that you could say that was political whatever a statement yeah but it was a good statement particularly compared to what was happening in the united states at that time uh, when all the discussion was keeping people out. Well, same in I England. Believe, Absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. In England, British, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, when I saw that, it made me cry because in England, the, the Prime Minister was trying to get votes by saying, we're not letting any in. And and here, our Prime Minister is there welcoming them and kissing them. And I, I agree, it, it was, you know, regardless of where, where people's political allegiance lie, that was a beautiful moment. I, I, look, I think it was. And... Um, you know, we, we live in a province that uh, has welcomed immigrants. I think we were a little bit behind the eight ball over generations that, you know, I remember in 1987, 160-some um, Sikh refugees washed up on the shore of Nova Scotia down by Shelburne County, Charleston or Charlesburg, somewhere down, in, and they were welcomed and fed, but then everybody just assumed they'd leave and go to Toronto and Montreal, and that's what happened. We've, we've been a little bit behind the eight ball traditionally. We're very welcoming people, but I don't know that we've actually uh, serviced people who've come here the way we should. The last number of years, we've seen a dramatic uh, change, and some of it's due to the Ivany report, Ray Ivany recognizing that we need more international uh, immigration, but it's in my heart and in my soul that we should be doing this. And not just, as some people would say, because they will contribute immediately to the economy, so they come and they invest. We want those people. We also want people who come like the Syrians did who are driven by a passion to do better and to give their kids a better life uh, than they have. And so the Syrian uh, uh, worldwide, they call it a crisis after Elaine Kurdi washed ashore in uh, Turkey. You know, for us it was, some people saw it as humanitarian and compassionate and there was certainly an element of that, but the kids of these immigrants are gonna be um, making Nova Scotia better for years and years to come. And so I spent a fair bit of time working with you know, the ISINs, the Settlement Associate, do amazing work in Nova Scotia. Um, and just trying to get to know some of these people when they first came, large families. I mean, six, seven, eight kids in some cases. And I think you're already seeing the success of that. You know, last week I went to the opening of um, 
the Peace by Chocolate store in downtown Halifax. It is yeah. a famous case. Tariq Haddad, who came over, set up in Annie Ganesh with his family making chocolates. He's now got a beautiful boutique in downtown Halifax. And yeah, he's a bit of a poster child for this and well-deserved. He's an amazing guy. But I think more and more and more you'll see those influences. And I and, uh, hope someday that uh, the son of a, or daughter of a Syrian immigrant is uh, the mayor of Halifax or the MLA or cabinet minister like like we had with um, Lena Diab and uh, Patsy Arab and uh, Zach Churchill, all of whom have Lebanese um, uh, history and are now in the in the uh, cabinet of the government of Nova Scotia. Amazing. It's beautiful. I mean, what was it like for you growing up with a father in the public eye and especially such a public position? And of course, I mean, it, and inevitably with it, with politics, you know, divisive. Mm. So what was that like for you as a younger child? What's your kind of earliest memories of that? And what was it kind of like growing up? So I'm one of seven kids, large uh, Irish, Welsh, Catholic family came over to Canada in the uh, late 60s. My father got, uh, he was a doctor, a family doc. He was a crusader. He ended up running. He, he became quite enamored of uh, Pierre Trudeau, who had become prime minister just shortly after we came to Canada. He ended up running for him in 1972 at a time when the conservative leader was a very decent guy named Bob Stanfield, who was from the same area and was very popular. So we didn't so much get into the party politics as a family. We just talked about everything from what was happening in what was then called Biafra, you know, we used to listen. CBC was the currency of choice in our house. We used to listen in the morning at breakfast, uh, you know, after church. We'd listen to Sunday morning and talk about issues. And my father was a great uh, provoker of thought. He would usually disagree with everything most of us believed in um, mm-hmm. just so he could get us thinking. And then he'd run off to get the Encyclopedia Britannica to prove that he was right. And if he was right, he'd come <laughs> back with the book. If he was wrong, he disappeared. But we just talked about things, uh, public uh, policy issues and, you know, why things mattered, social justice. Um, talked a lot about things like, you know, the, the, the black population in Nova Scotia and, uh, you know, why they don't have the services that others do. Um, yeah, so uh, his success in politics came when I was an adult. You know, I helped to run his first campaign for mayor in 1985, ran in 88, he became premier in 93. I was into my 30s. And uh, so we were very much influenced by both my mom and dad, who were both very interested and very encouraging of discussion around public policy as kids. And in an interesting way, you know, being an organizer when my father was was premier has sort of influenced how I look at my life in politics as my kids are starting to develop their own careers. And you know, what I would like to do and what I would not like to do. Do your kids often come to you with feedback and thoughts? Like, are they kind of uh, helpful as a, I mean, you know, not that you would necessarily want to just use them as a, as a focus group, but equally, I'm sure they have uh, things that they're very passionate about. How, how does yeah. that kind of conversation go around the dinner table? So we don't talk about it much. I think the last time that, uh, in fact, my wife talked much about politics at the dining room table is uh, probably 25 years ago. That's not uh, her life. We don't talk a lot about my job at at home. The kids are interesting, right? So my son was at school in Newfoundland a year and a half, a year ago, when a discussion here was around an armored vehicle that we had approved for the police. And there was pressure saying, why would you have this armored vehicle it cost uh, five or $600,000 or something? Why wouldn't you put that into 
you know, some other initiatives. And my uh, my son said to me uh, on a text, he said, why do you need a friggin' tank, Dad? And I thought, oh, my God, you know, where does that come from? And um, so every now and then we'll we'll get these these things. My my daughter was home on the weekend for dinner on Sunday, as she often does, and um, spoke to me about something she saw online about housing. Um, so that you know, they're they're interested, they're engaged kids. You know, I, I very much don't want to have their thoughts of me be related around me being the mayor. Uh, you know, I I, uh, I want them to develop their own careers and their own lives independent of me as the mayor. I've had a pretty good run. You know, I don't get kicked around a, a whole lot. And I, you know, I, I'm very conscious of the fact that I don't want them to be influenced by what people think of them because of their last name. For sure. For sure. That's, that's fascinating. And, Can I tell you and, a little and, story about that? Yeah. Do we have time? Yeah, I'd love to. Love to. So last, last August, we were away as a family when the bubble was on. And uh, we spent... A few days with my buddy Roger Kuzner, who was now the Consul General in Boston. He was a member of Parliament with me. Great guy. Um, and uh, he's got a beautiful place up in the Mire. So we drove up. We played golf at a place the night before. We went up to Roger's house, and I got a call saying that the Premier was about to announce he was stepping down and that I should be ready for that because people would start calling me about that. And so we're sitting on the dock on the Mire probably about 10.30 in the morning on a beautiful day having coffee. Roger was probably having a beer. And uh, he leaned over to my son. He said, what do you think about your father here uh, running for premier? And uh, Connor said, nope, shouldn't do it. Shouldn't even run for mayor again. He's got this far without embarrassing us. He, should, he should, shouldn't run again. Um, and so he was, he was being funny. But it, that's something that's, that's driven me is, you know, how do I impact my kids through my choice of career? Because other than what normal moms and dads do to help their kids or hurt their kids, uh, I don't want my public life to be an influence uh, on their emerging lives, which I think are very promising. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, they must be feeling pretty proud right now. It's a good time to be where you are. It's a good time to be doing what you're doing. How do you see everything, you know, and again, COVID aside, how does Halifax stay at the top? How how do you, you know, kind of keep things on this roll that in 12 months or, or in two years or three years that things are, are still growing and people are still... And also, um, I think crucially, how do you get the balance right between growth and all of this economic growth and population growth but how do you also keep the charm that Halifax has as a medium-sized city because that's got to be an interesting dichotomy trying to bridge that balance just right how do you see that playing out well I think the way you frame the question really identifies the challenge which is that growth what what, what does growth do who benefits from growth and I've always believed that you need growth the cities that are are stagnant are the cities that are dying so I think we need to grow but we have to do it in a way that's both inclusive and um, sustainable. So taking into account social justice and also the environment. And that's not, to me, that's not just ticking words off on a, on a board so people know that it's at least in my head. I've always felt that growth allows you to do those other things you want to do. We're certainly experiencing uh, affordable housing challenges in Halifax. Uh, interestingly, the McLean's article identifies housing as a big advantage for us versus other parts of Canada, and it probably is. But we have a chance to do some things on, on attainable housing as well as you know, the most immediate needs of social housing. 
But we have an opportunity to address some of those needs. And if we do it correctly, then the growth of Halifax will lead to not just a bigger city, but a better city and a city for more people. We're a coastal city. That's a huge advantage. But if we screw it up, um, then climate change will kill us. A storm surge, sea level rise, flooding, the impacts of the environment are real for a city like ours. And our investment in something that we introduced last year called Halifact, which is our climate change plan, is really important. And those things cost money. You have to put money into them. You, you, know, you can't just sort of ignore the fact that there's a financial component to looking at how do we address the environment? How do we build better? How do we you know, support the move away from carbon-producing energy? How do we support electric vehicles? You know, how do we work with the companies and the organizations that exist here in Halifax? And some of that is community-wide, but if the city is serious about it, then we have to lead. So you know, while everybody's talking about being carbon neutral by 2050, we intend to be um, net carbon zero in our municipal operations by 2030, and that's gonna require investment but I do believe it'll pay off. And the same thing with things like, as part of that transportation, we have to invest in new ways of moving people and transporting goods. And then on the other side of things, we need to recognize that not every community has been equally benefiting from the growth that we have. And so we need to look at, you know, our the traditional black populations. And as we build in those areas, not only sort of putting a plaque up, acknowledging their history, but making them part of the economic development that actually grows those areas. The Mi'kmaq population, we're looking at some very interesting projects with the uh, Mi'kmaq Native Friendship Center and also others. And how do we become a city? Where, you know, you come to downtown Halifax, we're pretty hilly. It's not an easy place to be in a wheelchair or to have other mobility issues. So all of those things, if we're going to be a really successful city where all kinds of people live and work and invest and study together, you have to take into account that more people need to be part of the success. Amazing. Beautifully put. And uh, I can't thank you enough for your time and insights. It's been so great to reconnect, especially at this kind of exciting and uh, and a time of, of real change and a turning point. Well, listen, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, as always, the work you guys do is uh, great. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. Language of the Mi'kmaq here in Nova Scotia. Thank you for listening to Mullinger Meets Canadians. If you like greatness, creativity, being inspired, laughing, or just love Canada as much as I do, then this is the podcast for you. So please do subscribe and review the show now. This show is brought to you by the Halifax Partnership. Halifax is very much open for business and offers key advantages for business growth and success. Visit halifaxpartnership.com for further information on how you can improve your life and business by moving to Halifax, Nova Scotia. To learn more about Mayor Mike Savage and the city of Halifax, go to halifax.ca and follow Mike Savage on Twitter at Mike Savage HFX. That's at Mike Savage HFX. Further details can be found on the Edit website, maritimeedit.com, and I will see you next time. Podstarter. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.